you know, I just think the league in general, I mean, there's some really good college basketball environments and to see the Dome of Doom be what it is. Um, then you go down to Moby and you see that place sold out. Um, well, that's, that's why you play college basketball. Sports Podcast. I am your host, David Graff. Not joined alongside me, as usual, is my co-host, Robert Munoz, but we've got a very special episode on tap for you today. Wild Sports Josh Criswell joined me. We went over to the University of Wyoming men's basketball offices. We got to sit down in person with head coach Jeff Linder. We chopped it up about the hoops program, the Mountain West Conference, a whole lot of fishing. More fishing than you may want, but I was intrigued. I really wanted to talk fishing. I'm I'm sorry, but I, I really needed to hear more of Coach Linder's fishing stories. So there's a lot of fishing in there, and you know how how Coach Linder, you know, he's not the big spender that maybe you might think he would be. I guess he chalks it up to having four kids. But anyways, I'll just get right to it, right to the interview with the University of Wyoming head coach. Jeff Linder. All right. Here with Josh Criswell, along with the guy you might have heard of, who coaches the University of Wyoming basketball team, Jeff Linder. Jeff, how's he going today? How you doing? Well, I can't complain. Um, it's nice not to feel win. The last the last two days have been uh, almost like you're in heaven. You don't realize what it feels like when uh, you're not getting hit with win. It's been a a windy, uh, windy April and a windy May, to say the least. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been windy. I saw you you're out catching some slabs recently. You know, was it windy those days? It was. Uh, it, it was really windy. Probably about thirty to forty miles an hour. And when you're trying to cast a fly line, it can make things a little challenging at times. But uh, I was very fortunate to be in a, a very special place and uh, was able to catch some nice fish. So tell me, where'd you go? Tell me about this fishing excursion. It's a river known, it's a river called the Parts Unknown River. All right. So we'll leave it at that. All right. It, it, is, it is in the state of Wyoming, I will say that. Um, it is a private stretch of water, but um, Parts Unknown River. All right. Coach Linder, man of the people, helping us fish. Helping us fish to his level. Well, I mean, we can talk about, I mean, public access on the the Big Horn or the Miracle Mile, the Gray's Reef. Uh, I mean, we can talk about those. I mean, I was up on the Big Horn and had, had a couple good days. But, uh, you know, when you're a basketball coach, you got to take advantage of the opportunities come come May because that's really our, our only really downtime once once the guys go home for a few weeks and then they'll be, uh, they'll be back here early June and then we're rocking and rolling again. Well, you kind of let us into some hoops. We'll get back into fishing well, later. You know I'm here to talk fishing, and that's why I'm here. Well, hey, we can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> well, let's talk about this past year's team. You know, you make the NCAA tournament for the first time as a head coach. How special is this year's group? Well, I mean, I think uh, without stating the obvious, I mean, it was um, it was a special year. I mean, it was a year that based off of what people thought we were going to be. And you look at the preseason polls, which you, know, you take with those with a grain of salt. But um, I knew we had a, had a chance to be good. I mean, knowing that, uh, you know, with Maldo, EK, the guys we had coming back, um, you know, I, I knew that we could do some things. And um, you know, luckily, we stayed healthy. Um, our schedule down the stretch, I mean, I think we really uh, – we were just hanging on. I mean, I think it was one of those deals where – other than really Maldo and Thompson, I mean, those guys have never, those other guys have never felt what a real season was like, a real schedule. Because for most of those guys, their freshman year with that COVID schedule, it wasn't where you were playing on a Monday, a Wednesday, and then maybe a Saturday. And uh, it was uh, it was a little easier that way. And so down the stretch, and then you add those games and having to play five games in like eight days and just what we were having to do. I mean, it was, 
it's probably a, a minor miracle that we were able to hold on because we were really just holding on. I mean, we were we were tired down the stretch, and you know, luckily the character of our team prevailed and found a way to win some of those close games that we needed to to, to give ourselves a chance to get in that large bid. Which, for most people, I mean, you know, it's they have no idea how hard it is in in, in you know NCAA Division One basketball to get an at-large bid. How good you have to be. And Jeff, you mentioned, you know, obviously not very many people thought that you guys were going to go on a, you know, 25-win season and make the NCAA tournament. But, you know, for you, what was the point in the season where you really began to think that you had a potential NCAA tournament group here? That's, uh, I think probably, you know, even going into Arizona, I mean, I knew that we were going to have their full attention. I mean, both teams were undefeated at the time. We were a top 10 net team. Um but just when we were out there, I mean, even though the first half wasn't quite what we wanted it to be, um, you know, I felt like from a, you know, just from a basketball standpoint, athletics, I thought that, you know, we're close. And, um, and so after that game and kind of seeing how we responded, then you go to Hawaii um, and you play the way we did down there against some very, you know, some good quality teams. Um, I felt like that, you know, we'd put ourselves in a position, but then you have to go find ways to, to win the right games. And luckily for our league, being as good as it was and to be able to, um, you know, when you're playing the majority of your games within your league against quad one and quad two teams, I mean, it just, it helps your, it helps your resume. And that's, that's what helped our league. And that's what allowed our team, to, our league to get four teams. Right. And one of the things that stood out to me watching the team is just it, it seemed like there weren't very many bad possessions. Obviously, there's going to be turnovers and things like that in the course of the game. But it seemed like they're always making that extra pass. Not a lot of hero ball wait until five seconds on the shot clock to get inside the three point line. You know, how difficult is that to accomplish as a team? Well, we knew that I mean, we were built differently in the way we played. And, and we were really good of not turning the ball over up until the about last two weeks of the season. Um and that definitely cost us in a couple of games. But um, our guys knew that we had to play a certain way to give ourselves a chance to win games. And uh, we knew we were going to play through Maldo and Graham. Um, it's like having two post players. And we were very um, you know, untraditional in terms of the way we played. And it caused teams a lot of problems. And when you have two players as good as they are in terms of um, putting the pressure on the defense to say, okay, are you, are you going to guard them one-on-one? And if you guard them one-on-one, I mean – they showed that they had the ability to go get 25, 30 points, or now you're going to double, and both of them are really good passers, and now you give up the chance that now you got Ducell and, and J.O. and Wenzel, Drake, and those guys knocking down threes. And so, um, you know, it was kind of pick your poison, but also, too, I think, down the stretch. And what we knew going into the offseason is that, you know, we put so much pressure in terms of the usage with, with Maldo and Graham. Um, it puts so much pressure on them to make plays that I think in the long run, um, you know, it might have hurt us a little bit. Um, and I think those guys know, and that's where we felt like in the offseason. We had to go out and, and, and get some guys that could help take some of that pressure off, especially when teams wanted to pressure pressure up, which is what some teams did late, and try to force other guys to go make plays. And um, I think with the three new guys, I think J.O. is going to take a really big step um, this next season, and he's had a great off season, and he just continues to get better. And so, um, you know, it's one of those deals where, yeah, just because we played that way last year doesn't mean we're going to play that way this year. I think we'll be definitely different in terms of now. Is the ball going to go inside to Graham? Yes. Is Maldo going to get into dribble downs? Yes. But um, you know, I think you're going to see us playing at a lot faster pace. Um, we're not going to play crazy fast, but you know, we're definitely going to get up and down more, um, a little bit more free flowing, a little bit more like what my teams were like in Northern Colorado. Mentioned the three guys that you brought in, transfers. What was the pitch? What did you tell them? Why why they should come in? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for them was that you know they had, all three of those guys had grown up in Southern California. They'd all played at you know a really high level. I mean, they've all played on you know, whether that was a Final Four team at UCLA, Elite Eight teams at USC. Um, you know, those guys have won everywhere they've been. But you know, I think for them to have the opportunity to because um, you know, it's hard to develop if you're not getting a lot of minutes and consistent minutes. And uh, those guys played a lot of minutes, especially uh, Ethan and Max, Jake a little bit more, um, you know, his freshman year before Johnny Juzang transferred in from Kentucky. And now you look in Jake's case where, you know, he's playing behind three guys that are all at the NBA combine this week. 
Um, and so it wasn't like he was playing against, you know, behind some bums. I mean, he was playing against, you know, high level pros. And uh, I think for them, you know, I think the, the attraction of Laramie was just, you know, in terms of how we develop, um, how we put our guys in position to, to be successful. But in basketball, especially in, in college basketball and recruiting, you know, everyone talks about development and the recruiting process, but a lot of places don't. I think that's the thing that we hang our hat on is, is getting guys better um, and knowing that's what you have to do at the University of Wyoming. We can't, we can't sell the beach and all the things that USC and UCLA can. Um, you know, and I think those guys, you know, they'd been there, done that, and they wanted a different experience, and, and they knew this time around what was really important and finding the right fit. And I think we were, we were able to show them that, and they were smart enough to know that, hey, this is, you know, this is, a, this is the best place for us. Right, and you mentioned obviously very different than uh, Southern California, but do you think that almost gave you guys a little bit of an advantage, just the fact that it can kind of be just about basketball and also just seeing Maldo and uh, Drake kind of get those looks by pro teams? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing, too, for them is there's a lot of distractions in Southern California as well. I mean, you go down there and just trying to drive five miles can be – it could take you two hours. And so I think for them the fact that they know that they had to get better if they wanted to continue their basketball career beyond college and um, a place like Laramie, the beauty of it is that there is very little distractions. And with our facilities and how everything is set up, I mean, it's if you're about the right things, if you're about wanting to get a, be a better basketball player, not just from a, a basketball standpoint, but from a strength and conditioning standpoint, I mean, we have everything in place here, which I think that's when you get kids here. I think, um, you know, I th- there's probably a perception of Wyoming maybe out there that once, but I think that also helps us once we get kids here is that they realize that, man, Laramie's a nice place. And then they see the facilities and you know, with those three kids from USC and UCLA is that they're like, man, these fa- facilities are j- as nice or if not nicer than what they had at those places. You mentioned development a little bit back there. That's one of the things when you talk to the guys on the team, they're all attracted to the way that you really develop players. I mean, what do you like? that aspect of basketball? I think it starts first with, you know, my assistants and, um, you know, hiring guys that that can coach, not just recruit, but, you know, that, that want to be you in. You don't it. just hire guys that look good in the quarters? No, there's no question. Even though that's part of it. Um, those quarter zips, that's only about the only good thing that came from COVID is that we were able to get out of suits and now we can be in quarter zips. Um, but, uh, you know, hiring coaches that want to be in the gym and they know when I hire them that that's my expectations with them is that they're going to be in the gym with the players. And you know, where a lot of those bigger schools, you know, once they get there, you know, they end up working out with the managers, the grad assistants. And so here, I mean, I think that not just, you know, my assistants being in the gym with them, but also having a plan and having a plan specifically for each player, um, and just knowing that there's a system in place and, and being able to do it every day. And that's why we recruit guys that, that want to be in the gym. You'd think that that would be the case if you're playing basketball at the college level, that you like being in the gym. But there's a lot of guys that don't want to be in the gym every day. And there's not a lot of guys that, that want to be coached every day when they go to the gym. And so I think that's what you know we do a good job of, is really trying to find those guys that, that really want to be in the gym. And let's be honest, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of things to do in Laramie. And... Uh, but if you want to be in the gym, um, I mean, there's, I, mean, I said, you're going to have the opportunity to get better because I do think we have a system in place that allows guys to get better. Speaking of your coaching staff, uh, some Sundance Wicks told me, I guess, about a month or so ago is whenever you were selling him on coming back home to Wyoming, that you told him that it's like getting in on Amazon before it blows up. And I guess my question to you is, you know, what did you see whenever you took this job a couple years ago and what were the things you were looking for and whenever you were putting together that coaching staff? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, for me, I mean, it was just, you know, it's one of those places where if you put the right product on the floor, I mean, you know, you're going to get. Uh, not just people, but entire state around you. And as you saw this year with the, uh, the crowds that we had, you know, at home down the stretch, I mean, you had eight, 9,000 people in that, in the double a each night. And I think that's where, you know, as I've mentioned before, where George Carlin's told me, and you have to have, you know, in order to be a championship team, you have to have a, a championship home environment. And I think those environments probably helped us, you know, really helped us get to the NCAA tournament and, and that energy that was in that arena allowed us to, to maybe win a couple of those close games that if you don't win those games, 
who knows if you make it to the NCAA tournament. So I think that was the biggest appeal to me is just being in a place where people really cared. Um, and you can really see that in this state where, uh, you know, they bleed brown and gold where other states, there's a lot more schools, a lot more four-year schools where, where here you are the one school in, in the state. And I think that goes a long, long ways in terms of, you know, building a special program. And, you know, just for you, one thing that uh, stood out to me from whenever you had your uh, press conference following the signings and obviously your uh, contract extension was how you kind of learned from Mark Few the importance of finding the right fit and obviously seems like a great fit for you here at Wyoming. But do you almost, you know, looking back to where that Gonzaga program was 20 years ago, obviously not a direct comparison, but just in terms of kind of that potential and positive momentum around the program, can you kind of start to see some of those things happening here right now? Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, what Gonzaga's done is I'm not sure will ever be replicated again. But I do know if if you have the right people in place, which I have a, a tremendous, tremendous staff, not just from an assistant coaching standpoint, but, you know, in terms of our support staff. I mean, my um, you know, my strength coach who's been with me now going on year seven, uh, Jimmy Edel, and then, then Dallas, my trainer. If you're if you're weak in those two areas, I mean, you're you're going to be really behind the eight ball in this profession. So to have two guys like that who are players in a lot of ways, they might, they might be around them more than us because they have actually have during the summertime more access to them than we do. And so um, you, know, you have to be really strong in that area. And, and and I think, too, is, you know, the thing that Gonzaga did was, you know, that consistency and cohesion amongst their coaching staff. I mean, between, you know, Coach Rice, who's at, you know, who's at Boise. Um, Billy Greer, who went on to become the head coach of San Diego, and then Tommy, who's at Arizona. I mean, those guys were together a long time, and the university just continued and recognized, you know, the importance of, of having a successful men's basketball program and what that could do for, you know, for the university. And you could see who, for those people that, that don't know, you know, probably 25 years ago saw what Gonzaga's campus looked like and now what it looks like now, um, it's a huge difference, and, and basketball has been a huge part of that. You mentioned just spending – ton of time in the gym. What made you want to get into coaching? I know you played college basketball, but why'd you decide to go down this path? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was, there was, I mean, that's all I've been doing for a young age is being in the gym. And so I didn't see myself doing anything else. I mean, um, you know, I, I took the LSAT was, you know, if, if, if I wanted to, I could have gone, gone been a lawyer, like, like your parents graph. And you decided to go down another path and try to be Scott Van Pelt as opposed to just doing, you know, doing the easy thing and going and being a lawyer. But, um, you know, for me, it's basically, I knew that was what I was going to do from probably when I was in high school and, um, was just fortunate to know some of the right people to be able to get my foot in the door and then be able to surround myself and recognize, you know, to in this, in this business. And just like with anything you do is, that, you know, the people that you surround yourself with are the ones that are going to make and break you. And I've just been very fortunate to have, um, you know, the right mentors, to work for the right guys, and, and then just being very fortunate to, to be able to hire the right guys that have allowed us to have the success that we've had. Throughout that coaching career, you've been out west or kind of in this general part of the country for most of that, but did spend two years down at Midland College in West Texas. Me and David Graff both have uh, spent some time growing up down in the Lone Star State. But, uh, you know, just what was that experience like? I imagine not too much fly fishing out in Midland. No, there's not a lot of fish. There's not a lot of water except for maybe one of the torrential down, you know, downpours that comes maybe once every 300 days. And then it's like a, a river going down the street. And so, uh, yeah, not a lot of fishing out in West Texas. Um, but I mean, it's Texas was a great place. And, you know, one of my dear friends in the coaching business who I work for there, Grant McCaslin, uh, who's now the head coach in North Texas, who's had a lot of success there and wherever he's been. And, um, you know, we didn't get a lot of fishing in there, but you know now he, he made his way up here this past you know, this past week, and uh, we were able to catch a lot of fish, and he was able to catch some some big big fish. They're used to catching bass and catfish, and down in those neck of the woods, and uh, for him to be able to, to hook into a big trout was was fun to see. Right, and you got a Texas guy on your staff and Ken DeWeese, and you know, he talked to me about how you guys, I think, kind of sort of built a relationship just kind of on the recruiting trails. I think he was at UTEP at the time. Um, you know, how, did, how far back does that relationship go, and how key is that as a head coach, just kind of having that assistant that you can lean on that you've had that relationship with? Yeah, no, it's huge. And Coach DeWeese and I, I mean, we'd, we'd always, because he was on the road all the time at UTEP, and whether when I was at San Francisco trying to get that thing going or at Boise, I mean, I was on the road a lot recruiting. And so 
Um, it seemed like I was always crossing paths with Coach DeWeese. I recruited Texas a lot as an assistant coach, and, um, and we just seemed like we always ended up in the same gym. And so um, you know, developed that relationship. And then over the course of, you know, he's been with me for you know going on year seven like Jimmy has. And um, it's nice when I'm not here to know that you have a guy like him who knows exactly, you know, what needs to be done. And, and, and that's the beauty of my staff is to have guys that have, that have been head coaches, that have been around to where, um, you know, when I'm not around, I'm not, I'm not worrying about things. And so with Coach DeWeese, I mean, he just you know, said he has a really good eye for what I want, you know, especially as a head coach. And you would think that would be common, but there's a lot of times where, you know, the head coach really doesn't – he just tells the assistants to go out and get players or go out and get talent and um, – I'm not sure what that really means. I mean, I think my job as a head coach is to define what, um, you know, what those guys need to be really looking for and, and knowing who I can and can't coach. And I think that's where Coach DeWeese, he really knows that. And, you know, he's, he's played a big part in a lot of the players that we recruited here. You made quite a few stops across the West, as Josh mentioned, on your uh, coaching journey here. So I'm sure you've put a lot of miles on the car, up quite a few flights recruiting so what's what's the recruiting story that let's let's just say you know you show up in a town and you're like man what the hell am I doing here and then you get in the gym you're like man we got to get this guy you, you immediately pull the phone out calling your head coach you're calling your assistants like man we we gotta we gotta get this guy to wherever you're at so what's your question give us a good recruiting story. a good recruiting story in a roundabout way. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, I think each each place. I mean, everybody wants you know to know the Lillard story, which I mean that wasn't nearly as complicated as what people might think. Um, you know, the funny thing was with Justinian Jessup, I I had seen I had seen I went and watched him work out for 15 minutes because they actually had at Longmont High School, which is down the road, um, was it was the uh, it was like May, it was like April going into his senior year. So he was still a junior. And so they were actually having, I think, prom or home, prom that night or something. And so like the gym was only going to be available and he could only do like a 15 minute workout. And went and watched him work out for fit. And this is at a time when he really had no division one offers at the time when I was at Boise State. Uh, maybe UNC was recruiting him a little bit. And uh, after I watched him for 15 minutes, I, I called um our director of basketball operations at the time, Isaac Williams, who's now the head coach at Cal State Monterey Bay, where Coach Grabo works for. And I said, I go, I just watched, I go, I, this, I go, Jessup will play in the NBA. And he's like, really? He's like, he's like, he has no, he has no offers. And um, I was like, just watch. I go, there's some things he, he has that he just can't teach. And lo and behold, you know, four or five years later, he ends up getting drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Played summer league with him. He's been in Australia. He'll probably be back playing summer league with somebody this this uh, this coming summer. But um, I think it's one of those deals where I've just been out and about so much, and having been in the gym so much is just. I mean, I trust my eye, and I think that's the one thing that a lot of assistant coaches have a hard time with is really trusting their eye, and they, they get caught up too much into you know who else is recruiting them. And um, you know, for me, it's just been a matter of okay, what fits, and when you're building a team, and there's a lot of different things that go into not just getting you know, maybe perceived the most talented player, but the, the player that best fits what you need in that for that scholarship, and, and that's always changing. In terms of just finding players on the recruiting trail, Graham E.K. is a guy who had a breakout season, but it was kind of overlooked you know, as a, a high school prospect coming out. What did you see from him whenever you saw him in the gym? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with Graham is that you know his, his feel for the game, and you could just see that he was just – he saw the game quicker, more clear than, than most, especially for a post player. And the fact that, you know, him growing up, he was never the most athletic guy. He couldn't rely on just going and, and dunking on guys. I mean, he had to he had to develop a skill set. He had to develop a touch. Um, and there's some guys that, you know, some guys' balls go in, ball goes in and some guys' balls don't go in. And just the way his ball goes in, I mean, it just there's a reason why he can go score 20 points in average 20 a game is that, his ball goes in, and then, and he had the fact that, you know, he's really competitive, um, he's really loyal, and I was the one guy that stuck with him. I mean, we had started recruiting him probably as early as anybody, and I was the one that recruited him as the head coach when I was at Northern Colorado, and just, 
I kept telling him how good he was going to be, kept telling his mom how good he was going to be, and that was at a time when he wasn't getting recruited by a lot of places. And then as his senior year, going into the summer of senior year, his recruitment started to pick up. I mean, he visited Washington State, Lila Marymount, um, Bucknell, um, St. Louis unofficially. I mean, so it wasn't like he wasn't getting recruited. And, and, and really what he wanted to do was he wanted to bet on himself. And so he was going to wait for the spring to sign. And in November, he tears his ACL, and that kind of changes everything. And then you, then you really realize who really wants you. And I was the one the one person who just continued to tell him, hey, you're going to be all right. And um, and luckily, he, you know, he remembered that. He appreciated that. And then when the opportunity came, when I got here at Wyoming, I mean, that was the first phone call I made was to him to let him know that you know, we got we got something here. And thankfully, he jumped on board. And two years later, I mean – I said it's quite evident how good of a player he is. And he's, you know, obviously coming off a mountain, all Mountain West season. But what's the next step for him in just terms of taking his game to an even higher level? I I think for him it's just, you know, he's only. I mean, really, that was his first full season of college basketball. I mean, for him, you know, with that COVID season coming back in the middle of January when he wasn't able to do anything five on five, no contact stuff. I mean, it was just throwing him in the mix, uh, and for him to respond that way, but. Um, you know, his body continues to change. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for him is, is he knows that, you know, his biggest, I mean, he wants to win. I mean, but he also, you know, for us in terms of his development and for him to, to be able to play, you know, at the highest level, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, he's got to continue to develop his outside shot. And, uh, cause that's where, you know, him being six, nine, six, ten. You're not going to just over. He's not overpowering Joel Embiid and Jokic and those guys in the NBA. And so, you know, for him to have the ability to consistently make the three, I mean, he knows that he's not going to be Drake Jeffries and he's going to be shooting, you know, ten threes a game. But you know, if if, if he can go out there and make one out of three and and to keep the defense honest, because the thing that he can do is he's he's really good in a five out open situation where he's playing off the handoff, fake handoff. I mean, he's such a good passer. Um, you know, he can do a lot of things at the the way the NBA is playing right now at the, at the post spot. But, um, you know, I think for him is just, you know, especially right now, I mean, we know he can go score on the block on anybody in the country, but can he make himself that much harder to guard by being able to stretch the defense out and be able to make a couple threes. So I got to ask about X because he was one of the very first people that came on our pod here. What is it about him that, you know, he just, he plays such a, a glue guy role. How would, you, how would you describe X? Yeah, I mean, X is a guy that, you know, unfortunately for him, I mean, he was, he was starting to play really well, and then he gets hurt on the last play of the game at Utah State. And uh, when, you, when you hurt your hamstring, um, it's one of those injuries where it's just, you know, it could be a deal where two weeks later you, you feel fine, or it could be a deal that just lingers on for a long time. And I think in the case of him, it, it lingered longer. And, um you know, but he never he never flinched. He never batted an eye because he went from a guy that was starting to not starting. And um, he's a guy that's just he's about the team. He has the ability to make open shots. And and he had you know the game against Fresno, I believe it was first half at Colorado State. I mean, if he's not making shots, we might be down 20. But he's a guy that um, you know you know can make shots. But he's also you know, which we you know told him as well. I mean, he's got to continue to develop. He's got to get better playing off the bounce because you know teams. As you saw Boise State in the tournament and some of the teams later in the season, they just they decided to press up on those guys and say, "All right, you got to go make a play," and um, that didn't necessarily work out too well for us. And so I think that's the biggest thing for for X is as he continues to grow, is just to have the confidence to know that you know he's he's a good enough player to where you know he doesn't have to rely on just shooting shots from the outside. Is that you know he's got to be able to play off the bounce a little bit more and make the right plays when he does play off the bounce. You touched on it a little earlier with four Mountain West teams making the tournament. The Mountain West isn't, more of, you know, the, bit, the Power Five, Power Six, however you want to talk about it. Why? Why do you think basketball talent, coaching, and players are just attracted to playing in the schools in the Mountain West? Well, I mean, I think you have, you know, traditionally, you have some really good basketball jobs in the Mountain West, and then I think. With a lot of things, I mean, just with any business, is if, if you have the right people in, in charge, you know, usually good things will happen. I think there's some really good, really good head coaches in the league, um, and you know, usually good coaches find good players. And 
and it's not necessarily going out, you know, when you're in the Mountain West, I mean, you got to go out and find ways to get guys that maybe other people didn't identify or um, now in this day and age with the transfer portal makes things a little bit more interesting. But you know, I think you got some good coaches that have a plan, which you think, you know, college coaches, there's amazing how many college coaches don't have a plan when it comes to how they want to recruit, how their style of play fits to how they recruit. And I think you got coaches in this league that understand that. And I think the, the league is probably as good it might not be as good, but it's close to when it was in 2013 when we had five teams go to the NCAA tournament. And I think you'll see next year, um, I mean, it's going to be just as competitive. I mean, there's there's no off nights. I mean, back in the day, you know, maybe against San Jose, you know, you could sit there and say, hey, we don't have to play, you know, really good tonight to win this game. But, you know, even now, I mean, Coach Miles, I mean, he's, he's getting some good players in there. I mean, Air Force is always tough to play. And, and, I mean, in Wyoming, I mean, I said up to well, this past season, I mean, people said, now you got a, you know, now you got a Wyoming team that's just won 25 games. It's got really good players. And so it's a really good league and it's only going to get better. And, um, and that's a good thing. But, you know, what the thing that we have to do as a conference is that, you know, we got to find a way when we do get to the NCAA tournament, we got to find a way to, way to win some games. Both you and Colorado State both coming off of big seasons. And, you know, I think for me, the the moment that I kind of realized the Dome of Doom was back when it was whenever Drake hit that three to send home CSU and the place just goes nuts. But, you know, what are those environments and just this rivalry kind of having these high stakes do for the Mountain West and kind of this level of college basketball as a whole? Um, I think the, the thing, not just, you know, with us in Colorado State, but just, you know, the venues in the Mountain West, I mean, it's, they're more so college towns, and so the you know the people really rally behind them. It's not like where if you're in California, you know, or you're now let's say maybe down in Denver, where there's a lot of different things to do and you got a lot of options. I mean, there's there's not a lot of options when it's a you know Tuesday or a Saturday in Logan, Utah, or um, you know UNLV, San Diego State, New Mexico. I mean, they've always been in terms of really good crowds and really good support. Boise, I mean, you know they they get good crowds. I mean, it just uh, yeah, I just think the league in general, I mean, there's some really good college basketball environments. And to see the Dome of Doom be what it is, um, then you go down to Moby and you see that place sold out. Um, well, that's, those, that's, that's why you play college basketball. And that's, you know, and I think those are also the reason why when in a day and age when, you know, players look to leave is when you play in those type of environments in front of those type of crowds. Um, on a regular basis, I mean, that, that, that helps you keep guys. I mean, it's not like where you're winning games and then lo and behold, there's nobody in the stands and there's no energy. I mean, that, that makes it really hard to keep players. But I think, you know, when you, they come in and they see nine, 10,000 people in here and, and what it looks like, I mean, I think it definitely helps your cause to, to keeping your players. You like to drop Gonzaga references in your press conferences. I know you're a former assistant coach in the West Coast Conference former student in the West Coast Conference. What is it about that conference as a basketball conference that maybe people don't understand? Well, I mean, I, I did coach for two years at the University of Santa Clara. I wasn't a student. No, I was. Oh, you were a student? I was a student. Where? At Santa Clara. Oh, Santa Clara. Well, then now I see your parents were both lawyers. <laughs> they send you and pay all that money to go to Santa Clara, and then you I, decide I to go on, into broadcasting. I was on a scholarship. Southwest scholarship because I was the only kid at the school from Arkansas. So they're trying to check all the 50 state boxes. Well, yeah, I'm sure there were some other reasons too, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think after the WCC, I mean, now it's going to be a little different with BYU moving out, but um, I mean, in terms of some beautiful campuses and some beautiful locations, now the problem is with those places, it costs a lot of money to live there. Um, and, and what Gonzaga's done, I mean, I said it's been remarkable. Um, like I said, it probably, I don't think it can probably be duplicated. And, um, and the biggest thing is just knowing what has gone into the support behind the scenes to keep, allow that program to continue to grow. And I think that's that's the thing. As I as I said when I you know signed my extension was that you know as long as the you know the university and the administration continue to show that they're willing to grow the program, especially when you have the right police people in place, then you know, there's, there's no reason to go searching for greener pastures because I know I've, I've known a lot of coaches have done that and um, you know, they've realized quickly that just because you know, maybe it's more money or perceived to be a higher level, which there's not the case. I mean, you can, you're a top 25, this top 25 team this year at the University of Wyoming. 
Um, how is it a little bit harder to be a top 25 team at the University of Wyoming compared to maybe some of the Power 5 schools? Probably. Um, but I said that's you – know, but it's, it's the job that fits me. I mean, in terms of it fits how I want to recruit, the type of kids we want to recruit. Um, now we just you know, got to continue to build off that. And, and thankfully the administration is – you know, they want to build off of that. And um, I'm really happy to be here. Not too many places either where I can go 40 minutes from my house and catch 10-pound rainbows either. Well, you kind of mentioned the contract extension there. I was thinking about this one the whole time because I talked to you after you signed it, and I felt bad that I didn't ask this. But what, what's the first thing you buy after you sign a contract extension? You made the joke that you could buy a ton more quarter zips, but what, what did you go out and buy? Well, when you have four kids, I mean, and it's not like I'm just uh, – that money goes really quick when you got four kids. I mean, there's not a maybe you booked a family vacation to Disney World. I don't know. I mean, no, no. For any parent, they know that Disneyland and Disney World is not a vacation. I mean, that is, I mean, that is death by a thousand paper cuts. And so I've already done Disneyland with the older three. Uh, we did Disney World uh, with all four. Now probably my my youngest, she's six. Probably will have to take her to Disneyland at some point in time, but. Um, you know, we'll wait to you know maybe a couple of years to where we only have to do that one more time because Disneyland and Disney World, I mean, that is that is no fun for a parent. So, um, you know, for me, I didn't, I mean, nothing. I mean, I said I didn't, I didn't go out and I said I'm not, I'm, I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not, I'm not making a billen dollars. So. How would you celebrate? Like, sure I, I didn't nice No, I mean, what? I mean, my wife and I went down to Chacho's Tacos and got some tacos. I guess. I mean, I don't. I mean, it was at the end of the day for me. I mean, I mean, I, I went. I mean, as I tell guys, you I know, mean, as an assistant coach, you know, don't don't come to me asking about money because I could go down the line of, of my salary, you know, from you know from my first years ahead, you know, first years as an assistant coach to basically even being at Northern Colorado. Like, I mean, I, I haven't I haven't been doing this because of the money because I mean, we were making twenty five thousand a year at Midland Junior College and. And when you're out as a team and you're going and getting, you know, it's back when Subway had stamps and do our pregame meals. And I, you know, we'd buy, you know, how many 15 sandwiches we get a few stamps. And so my wife and I, we ate a lot of Subway while we lived for two years in Midland, Texas. So, yeah, even though I'm making, you know, good money now, I mean, over the course of the long haul for people out there, I mean, it's, it's there's a lot easier ways to, to make a living. And, uh, but there's high risk, high reward. And so if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to go out and willing to take the risk and deal with all the armchair quarterbacks and everybody telling you, you know, it's easy to easy to go do that, well, it's a little bit different story. But, uh, you know, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to, to, to do what I'm doing and, and to make the money I'm doing it, but I don't I do not do it for the money. No. But I can't think about I mean, maybe I didn't even go out and buy a new fly rod. I mean, I just I just went out and just, I said, uh, four kids, that money goes quick. Obviously, some advantages that come along with having the head coach's salary, but are there some aspects that you kind of miss? Just the excitement and, I guess, um, unknowns of the days back when you're kind of scrounging up the subway stamps? No, I don't miss those days. I don't miss those <laughs> days. My wife really doesn't miss those days. And things are for me, I, I did a good job of, of identifying my wife at a young age and found found one who is willing to, to endure what you have to endure being a coach's wife because it is – it is not for everyone, and there's been a lot of coaches who, who are no longer coaches because their wife probably looked at him one day and said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. And so for me um, to have you know my wife to go through what she's had to go through to us to get to this point, um, you know, I would said I wouldn't be, and I've said this before, I mean, I wouldn't be here if, it's, if it wasn't for her. And so thankfully, like I said, she was willing to endure all the, the craziness and all the places we've lived. And. But it's also been an adventure where sometimes some people, you know, they never get out of the, you know, they grew up in one place and they never get out of that place. And for us to have to, you know, been able to live in San Francisco. Now, living in San Francisco with three kids is is tough for, for, for especially three kids under the age of five. It's not the easiest place for you to raise kids. But, um, you know, for us to experience all the different places, I mean, we wouldn't trade that for the world. So do you fish with your kids? Uh, I'll do a little bit. But, you know, when you're fly fishing, I mean, they're not, they don't have the patience um, that maybe I have, and especially kids this day and age with their, with their phones and whatnot. I mean, their their attention span, and, and they don't really want to fish; they just want to catch. I mean, so I mean, there's a difference between fishing and catching, and so uh, you know, we got a place down the road that uh, we got a pond and some, you know, they're able to catch some fish, but they want easy, and I'm not I'm not looking for easy when it's coming to fishing. I'm 
I'm looking to try to catch as big a fish as possible. And I realize there might be some days where I don't catch, you know, catch anything, but at least I give myself the opportunity and uh, to get away and to get some peace and quiet. Because usually when you're on a, on, on a trout stream, there usually is not very much, very good cell phone service. So at least I get a, a day of peace and quiet. So we, when we talked last, you told me a couple fishing stories. Said they weren't fishing stories. You're pumping up, I think, uh, Steve Smiley. Is that who has the, uh, the Utah State record? His brother. His brother. His brother has the the Utah State record for the lake trout out of Flaming Gorge. So for, I mean, maybe you don't know that Flaming Gorge lies in two states. It lies in Wyoming and Utah. And I've heard about it. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Coming from coming from Arkansas, I mean, I don't say those are some big lakes in Arkansas, but I'm not sure if they cover two states. But he has the he has the state record out of uh, out of Flaming Gorge, and um, he was just out there for about two weeks. Uh, he had one on that he thought was to the boat that was probably was going to break his his record. His record's 52 pounds. He had one on that he thought was 55 or 60. Um, and so I didn't make it out there this spring. I made it out there last spring. I caught a 30-pounder, which, you know, for him, he barely wants to take a picture of because um, he's caught so many of those. But um, but it's just one of those places, and that's why I love Wyoming so much, is that there's so many different places to for me I mean, for some people who don't like to fish, but for me, I mean, there's so many different places. And the problem is, is now everybody knows I like to fish. And so I get people asking me to go fish all the time. And I'm like, well, I, I hate to say no, but I also like to stay married because um, I said, my, you guys talk about my salary. My salary won't be as much if I, if I end up being divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you like to fish, you like to golf. Is, is it just the slower pace? Is that what you're saying? Like you, when it's not hoops, you just gotta be slowed down. Um, yeah, I mean that's you know for me, I mean I was, I started playing golf when I was nine or ten years old. So, um, you know it's not golf is not easy by any means, but you know I'm not taking the, the game up late. I mean so I mean I can just go out there and kind of hit it around. I don't. I'm not out there all the time. I mean a lot. I mean as I said for each kid, my handicap's gone up about two strokes. Um, unlike you know, my guy Seaman with no kids and Priggy, I mean, they could just get out there and just. You made it look like you were sandbagging. Yeah, no, yeah, they thought I was sandbagging, you know, the other day because, you know, I shot a 71 during the Cheyenne Open, which was like a, you know, that was, that, that was a once in a lifetime deal. But, um, yeah, but with kids, it's hard. So I can go out there and I can look like a scratch golfer some days, and then some days I can look like a. A 12 to 15 handicap guy but um, you know when you have four kids I mean you have to decide how you're gonna spend your time and for me I means going out on a golf course for four hours that doesn't sound like fun and so you know I got to pick and choose my my spots wisely because a happy wife is a happy life and so I'd much rather go spend eight hours on a trout stream as opposed to going on a golf course for four hours that makes sense well what I was getting to earlier you said fishing stories like they were they weren't that the insinuation that fishing stories are made up and then when I went to go you know double check and I found an article about about Smiley's record catch and I just was like man Linder what an honest guy telling great fishing stories that are true no I mean that's I mean that's I mean I got the pictures to, to prove them and People can believe what they want to believe, but hey, the, the pictures back them up. And usually, I'll always with fish. I'll, most people will tell you if they caught a three, you know, five pounder, it was probably three. So usually, I'll err on the other side. And if I caught it, probably in those past, this past last few days, probably caught some that were, you know, probably in the 12 to 12 to 15 pound range. But I'll say 10 to 12. But when you look at the pictures and people see, I mean, there's not very many people on earth to cut trout that big. And so I was just very fortunate in the opportunity to do it. If you could take any Mountain West coach out onto the water, who would it be? Oh, man. Uh, I, I've been on the water with Coach Rice. He's, he's capable of, of doing that. But, um, yeah, other than that, I don't, I'm not sure who else uh, who else fly fishes. Uh, coach Ray at Weaver, he fly fishes. Obviously, Coach Few is on the water probably more than anybody. Um, but I got, you know, good buddies of mine that said my, uh, my, my guy, Ben McCollum, who was a head coach in Northwest Missouri state, who's won four out of the last five division two national championships, him and, and coach McCaslin from North Texas, they made their way up and 
Uh, it was their first time really being in this neck of the woods and for them to kind of see Wyoming, even though they got to see Wyoming when the wind was blowing 50 miles per hour. But for them to kind of see just you know how pretty the place was and they were blown away. And so um, not sure. Probably Leon would be the one guy because I just know he flies fly fishes. So but other than that, you know what, we'll find somebody, you know, find somebody around here to go. We got one last question before we wrap things up. Since you mentioned Coach Ray, I just love that guy. What, what was it like working with him? Where did you cross paths with Coach Ray? Uh, I was putting together a podcast series about Montana basketball, the lineage of head coaches there, and we had him on to talk about, I think, working with Stu Morrill. Yep. And uh, he just – he was blowing me up. We, we were talking, you know, for a couple of weeks after that. Just a great guy. What was it like working with him? No, Coach Ray is somebody I've known since I was in high school when he was an assistant at Colorado State and somebody that, you know, I've always always kept in touch with and then had the opportunity to work for him for two years, his first two years at Weber. And that was back in 2006 to 2008. I mean, he's still going and, you know, built a, built a great program. I mean, he's had a – you know, Hall of Fame career at Weber. I mean, what 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 they've done there, the games they've won, and um, and just you know, for me to just you know to be able to pick his brain and and to be somebody that you know he's always done it the right way. And he and he was big with me in terms of finding the right fit because he knew, especially as an assistant coach, um, you know, especially you know what level you felt comfortable doing what you had to do recruiting to get players. Now, in the wild west of today's recruiting, where I mean, you know. NIL and you know pay to play which is what this has turned into I mean I guess you know the cheating that went on behind the scenes and the payments under the table you know those those are now just up on the forefront I mean now it's just it's turned to professional sports without no salary cap and I'm sure that's probably for a podcast later but um, you know for for coach Ray though I mean he's he'd be one though he loves to fly fish and he'd be one to, to get out to these neck of the woods and I'm not sure when he's gonna give it up I guess is maybe a little sooner than later, but um, but when he does, my guess is he'll he'll find a place where it's warm, but they'll also find a place too where he can get the fly rod out and get a few casting. Beautiful answer. I love that. Well, anytime we have somebody new on the pod, we ask him this question to wrap things up. You got a burger in front of you. You put anything on this burger. It's gonna be the Jeff Linder burger, the Linder burger, if you would. What's going on the Linder Burger? You know, one, I'm not a big red meat guy. So in terms of burger, I'd probably be more of a turkey burger than it would be a... That's fine. A real burger. Now, I did have a real burger the other day, and it was quite tasty. I'm pretty, as you asked my wife, I'm not... I'm pretty, I'm pretty plain and simple when it comes to food. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's not going to be a lot on it. I mean, it's going to be some, some mustard mayos ketchup um probably american cheese if i had a choice of cheese um it's your burger just keep, yeah just keep yeah keep it simple maybe throw some avocado on there and maybe some bacon that's about the extent of it I'm not going with the you know the peanut butter and all the craziness that you know that you can put on there so gonna keep it simple so you said mayo mayo ketchup mustard, mustard. some avocado some maybe some bacon to go along with it American cheese. American cheese. Why American? I don't know. I mean, that's the cheese. I mean, I've had a, tasted a lot of cheese, and we can go down the line of different cheeses. I mean, we could talk about Gouda and pepper. I mean, we go all. I mean, we go along the line, but I like I, I like I like American cheese. American cheese it is. Put American cheese on the Linder burger. And all right. Well, Coach Linder, head coach of the University of Wyoming women's basketball team, really appreciate the time. Thanks for letting Josh and I come in on your territory yep. here well i'll be up in your territory in casper you know on on the plat here i'm sure at some point in the near future so i look forward to look forward to not sure. not seeing you because i'll be i'll be on the water you kind of look like a guide though you got a guide look going on right Special now. Special got the car heart. Yeah, and... we got the. I mean, you got the hat on, and you're a little burnt. I mean, I am burnt. Yeah, but uh, I've got some good fishing stories, but they won't go out on the pod. So okay, we'll save but, that for another day. We'll save it. We'll save it. All right. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate everybody who's subscribed, rating, reviewing the podcast, all of that. Shout out to Shakewell for the music. Thank you very much.
trying to prove uh, uh, who you want to impress now, baby. I see you think you can move so smooth, but you do not have what it takes to pass this test. So you better forget everything you know. It's I get lessons more be short. School. 